Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Way back in the early and dim mists of human history, when I was 20 years old, this nation celebrated its bicentennial. It was a huge two-year-long affair in 1975 and 76. It featured commemorative quarters and half dollars, concerts, nationally televised fireworks displays, Johnny Cash as the Grand Marshal of the D.C. Parade, attended by Queen Elizabeth, believe it or not, a grand parade of sailing ships in New York Harbor, a Delaware crossing reenactment, and of course, being that this is America, there were many, many items of branded memorabilia, countless tributes. Lo and behold, here comes another big anniversary bash, marking 250 years since the signing of the Declaration of Independence, America 250. It'll be a multi-year effort to toast the country and its history. And right here in Bloomington, folks are working on a project called Hoosier Character. Joining me this week is Christine Friesel, who's working on the project. Welcome to Big Talk, Christine. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Christine Friesel is an adult services librarian at the Monroe County Public Library, one of the three organizations involved in this project. What is Hoosier Character? Hoosier Character is a map project. It's an initiative created for the 250, America 250, but it is a two-year initiative or program but it is a digital map, mapping Indiana in the 19th century. Uh, we need to do this because we need to see what oral history and traditional sources look like on a map. We are having a lot of trouble figuring out where people lived in the 19th century. And some of us, when we do this type of work, who owned this property or where was that Chinese laundry, oh. you know, these questions come up periodically and we might you know, make a note of it or put it in a file folder or put it on a blog post. But some of us actually want to return to that. Now, where was that Chinese laundry? Yeah. And then we might notice something else down the street. Oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder if this person and that person were related. And so we want to actually start to see this these information on a map. And so we want to invite other people to contribute pins to the map to see if we can start seeing the 19th century in a new and exciting way. We really need to reformat this this history from the books to, to a map. Because today, if you want to know what's here or what's there, you, you, there's all the Google trucks and all that going up and down the streets taking photos of everything. We know everything these days, almost, it seems. But very little is known accurately about the 19th century. The 1800s is what we're talking about. Right. In Bloomington, they didn't start using addresses, the standardized addresses, until maybe 1888. And so once the, the government or the officials tell everyone, you have to start putting addresses on your letters in a standardized way, you can see how... Some people might resist that. They're still writing to the hat shop next to Mr. (laughs) Johnston's grocery stand. And the stuff got there. And the stuff got there. (laughs) Or you would see a reference to a business that is located in the Durand block. And and you're like, okay, what was there? What 
what date was that? And so they didn't actually use the addresses until the late 19th century. So for us to know where something was, it, it really takes a lot of work. We don't want to lose that work. If somebody's done that work, we want to be able to say, oh, that's wonderful. Now we know where that mill was, or now we think we have a clue as to an underground railroad station, even if it's based on oral history. Uh, just let me do a sidebar here. You know, the National Historical Sites markers, you know, those beautiful metal stand signs that are going to the ground, they're cost maybe $4,000, $5,000. Right, there's Plus, one in front of the gables. Right, and so it does take a, a, you know, you need to prove your source, you need to have a group of people coordinating this to mark to say this is where it should go and this is what it should say. It takes a lot of effort and time and money and, and, it's, and it's valuable. But we actually, some of us are interested in that oral history, and and even if we can't prove that there was an underground railroad station right there at that intersection, we're starting to see some crumbs or information. So we think, oh, well, we can put a digital pin there. We don't have to be so confident that those coordinates are exact, but it's enough to start building excitement. And, and then maybe someone will call in and say, no, it wasn't there. <laughs> you it was might, over here. Yes, we can think of a bar stool or the liar's bench. But what we actually don't mind that excitement in local history. There's, there, I know that in um, there's a long tradition of people who don't have academic degrees might refer to people as amateur historians. I think of myself as an amateur because I didn't study history in college. You know, I studied poetry. And so I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't read all the history. Right. Uh, I don't know all of the, the founding fathers uh, text. But I do know that people light up when you say, hey, I heard that place is haunted. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to do is get those amateur historians who love history and story, and the people who have genealogical proof and primary documents to back it up. And I want to actually lay those pins, get these people or the data that these people generate side by side on a map and just see if we can have a good time. I, I mean, if we can't entertain each other as to who lived on your property in the 19th <laughs> century... If we can't engage people as and gain excitement and momentum on letting them know easily by bloop, 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 typing in their address, finding out who's your character, who lived on my property in the 19th century, if we can't get them excited about that, a three-minute engagement time, who's my character? If we can't do that as academics, as amateur historians, as storytellers, so if we can't engage the, the entire community as to who lived on their property within three minutes, then we've got a big deal. Huh. We've got a big problem. However, I'm going to flip it and say everybody wants to know in three minutes who lived on their property oh, in the yeah. 19th century. Was it a hog farmer? Are you telling me there were 300 hogs in my backyard? Yes. <laughs> For instance, the, the Bloomington Speedway. It's a dry stone fence around the Bloomington Speedway. Uh -huh. And then if you go up Fairfax Hill, there's a big white house. The Blakely House over the creek. Blakely was a hog farmer, and he sold many. Well, we did ship a lot of pork um, down the Salt Creek to uh -huh. New Orleans, huh. and Blakely was one of those farmers. But 
those, those, those short fences. When you see those short fences, like, oh, that's a lot of work, and that's real pretty. And what does it stop? And what does it stop? And I realize hogs, maybe. Yeah, they don't jump. <laughs> <laughs> now, Christine Friesel, you say I'm not a historian, but, you know, I think you're selling yourself short because you're a family researcher. That's part of what you do at the Monroe County Public Library. People actually call in to the library and say, hey, what about my great-grandfather? Right. And I've been doing that for maybe 15 years, but I've been studying genealogy since the eighth grade. It was one of those assignments in school, and I just caught the bug. And since I was 13, I've been doing research, and I picked the fam- my side of the family that had the unusual name. I didn't have any Smiths or Millers, so I had an unusual name, and so I chased that, and th- I just found it very satisfying. And then so when I got into uh, the public library here in Monroe County, I was e- eventually assigned to the Indiana Room, and so that's, that's my primary focus. So when people call into the library, any librarian that's working the desk can start those questions and get answers. Uh-huh. But the, some of the more difficult ones I end up getting, and, and it's, it's not work at that point. It's a, it's a delight to help people find uh, answers to their, those nagging questions. Who paid for her college? How did yeah. she get that money? Every once in a while when someone calls in, do you get to go all the way back to the 19th century? Well, I start wherever they, they want. A lot of yeah. them are trying to get uh, genealogical proof to get into a heritage organization or oh. line- lineage society like the Sons of the American Revolution or the uh-huh. Do- and they're looking for a birth certificate when, at a, or some proof of birth before we actually required them by Indiana law. Oh yeah. So so some of those are like. They just they they are very high functioning genealogists who say I'm about ready to throw in the towel. Is it? Do you concur that I should throw in the towel? So I'm not a certified genealogist, but I would say ah, just another. Just let me have a little poke at it and see what where what could fall out if we go look. And at the Kirkwood branch of the Monroe County Public Library, there is material. There is stuff that you can refer to and say, aha, yes. here's the answer. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the Indiana Room Collection. The founding members of the Daughters of the American Revolution um, were the ones who started, they lived near the old Carnegie Library, 6th Street and Washington. Washington. And one of the Daughters of the American Revolution lived just catty corner, just across the street. Brian, I think it is. And they were probably connected with, uh, they were indeed related to IU President Brian. But anyway. And probably Brian Park and everything else Brian-ish. Right. So, but these are daughters who are descendants of American Revolutionary War patriots. And they were so excited about their establishing the the DAR chapter. But they gave the the public library a bookshelf with books about how to look up your ancestors. And so that was in the late 60s. But by then, um, the public library was growing. And so when we built a new building at uh, 303 East Kirkwood, that is when the Indiana room got an official room and a fireplace. That's where we started building the genealogy collection. And I will say I inherited a wonderful collection from my predecessors, who decided they had they there was a great need for books about those states where our Early residents came from Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. So when you come into the Indiana Room, you're going to see books from those those eastern and southern states. 
I've heard of people talk about a, a migration of the Scotch-Irish into Indiana. Right. Now, here's where you encounter an amateur historian. But based on what I have studied about them, in the 1830s, 1833, 1835, there was a group of Covenanters who came from Chester County, South Carolina. And I'm not sure if they had a land agent that say, just give me the money and I'll find you the property that's perfect for you all. Uh -huh. Or if somebody came ahead and inspected this property and say, okay, we need water. So if you have an understanding of Monroe County history, you'd know that water was not a particularly great thing when we started. We've built There was no Lake Monroe. <laughs> There's no Lake Monroe, no Lake Griffey, no Lake Lemon. These are artificial reservoirs. And so... I think that the, the Chester County Scotch-Irish got here and, and they had somebody who made sure that they got the, the, some water. So the Clear Creek uh, water, the Jackson Creek water. So you can think of these families near High Street, Covenanter, right. um, Winslow, the, so along the creek bed that way, and also Clear Creek and down towards Smithville. So wherever there was water, that would be a great place to live. If they could get the land, maybe it was already purchased by them. But by the 1830s, these Scotch-Irish are coming in, and they are moving to Indiana to avoid slave states, and they are bringing with them um, some, some families had inherited African-Americans. There was a family that inherited blacks that were part of their family. They brought them with them and set them free once they got here. Huh. And, and, but these early African-Americans really remain a mystery to us because we, we find them and then we put them, we find that little piece of information and we put it in a file drawer and then we forget, okay, now what, what family was this person attached to and where did, yeah. they, how long did they stay here? And, and is it significant if, is it, I mean, you have to ask yourself, is it significant if they were here for only a summer and moved away. Well, some of us think, well, they may have influenced a community. They may have influenced a church. They may have influenced the farmers nearby. We became who we are because of all these people back then. Right, right. And you can think of your own personal life, and you may have had a summer internship in Austin, Texas, and you think, well, I didn't make a big contribution to Austin, Texas. But, you know, maybe you fell in love in Austin, Texas, and you affected... <laughs> Or, or maybe you did, you know, you protested. There's some things that you may have done. So we know that people came through Monroe County, had a little party or had a little difficulty and or realized there's no water here. Why would anyone <laughs> stay here? And they moved on. So we don't know at the time that we drop a pin of this person who lives here is quote unquote significant. But what we'd like to challenge with Who's Your Character is that if you have somebody who's historically prominent and deserves a $5,000 permanent marker and somebody who is, uh, has a great story and has archives and written proof, that person, yes, we definitely need to, to put a marker or a statue or name a building after that person or a street. But some of us are just interested in who lived on my property. When I do the dishes and I stare out the backyard, I would like to know what was the people or my ghost in my house thinking <laughs> about. And everybody here who lives in Monroe County should be able to 
have some sort of lead on who who owned their property. Now, again, we're talking about Hoosier character. Now, this is a project designed to coincide with the 250th anniversary of the United States. This is a big shebang that's going to be happening in 2026. Hoosier character, which is a project launching right now. Yes. It's, it's live. It's a digital map of 19th century Indiana showing the regular people of the time. Christine Friesel, who's our guest this week, is one of the people. She represents the Monroe County Public Library. That organization is working with Monroe County GIS, the Geographic Information System, and the Monroe County History Center. And you know, just as an aside... I'll bet it was neat when that was the library. That was a Carnegie library. Oh, yeah. A big deal. Yeah. And it really, when you look at the library's history, you really see its growth and the impact during the Great Depression when people needed a place to go that was for free. They needed to read. And so sometimes uh, when times are hard, that's when you really lean on the public library. But that's also after World War II, we expanded the, the town expanded so much during the 50s and 60s that we had to build a new building in 1970. Lots of college towns uh, grew right after World War II because of the GI Bill. Right. The returning soldiers wanted to get a college degree and uh, and never have to get their hands dirty again. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's, that's the way people looked at it back then. Yeah, and then in the 19th century, that was the case after the Civil War. And women were starting to go to college at that point. Uh-huh. So that was a growth spurt for, for IU as well. Now, I wanted to mention something. You, you, you keep referencing the national um, 250th, and this is a statewide map. But right now, we are launching as Monroe County drops their mapping coordinates. Yeah. So when you look at the map now to your listeners, you will see pins on a map for Monroe County. We are only now just starting to let the statewide agencies and counties within our region, we're going to be letting them know that, hey, we're building a map. This is pretty cool. All we need is like four pieces of data. You want to drop your information on the map? Bring it to us and we'll drop it in. So so you won't see anything from Green or Lawrence quite yet. We're hoping that we make it... They're coming. We hope we make it so easy that other counties will, will join in. But we've got two years to build this. Now, to get to it, you go to mcpl.info slash Hoosier character, and then you'll get that interactive map that shows you who was what where uh, in Indiana back in the 19th century, our history, Indiana's history. Again, this is a digital map of 19th century Indiana, and it'll help people uncover maybe their very own shared history. Right. We we really do have a feature where you can type in your physical address where you live now and zoom in and see who we know, who's your character that lived near your property, perhaps even on your property sometime before 1900. Why not the 20th century? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. Um we we tend to want to be responsible to our taxpayers. The public library, we are really struggling 
with that scap of information. It's pretty easy to find out who lived on your property in the 20th century. Ah, because and, of all the good records. Right. And, and some people just hire a title attorney to go do something legal, you know. But it's really difficult. It's quite challenging to find out who owned property because the parcels start off as a farmland of 160 acres, and then it goes into a development. And so those, those, the property transfers actually, it's a bit tedious to go through that in the 19th century. But it is actually difficult to find out who owned property or who lived on a property because they didn't use addresses. Right. So the reason why we're focusing on the 19th century is that it is very interesting what was going on then. A, a lot of people don't know what was going on in the 19th century. And I, I'll be frank here, because there were no photographs. Uh-huh. And to engage young children and school curriculum, it's you really do need not, not only media at this at this time, but you and I, when we were growing up, I, I tended not to check out books that didn't have a picture in it. A kid needs those illustrations. The early 19th century is a real big mystery for, t- for several reasons. One, those documents and the, and the stories, some of them are still locked in cursive handwriting. The other reason is that there's, there's no photographs or the people lived there and moved away. And so they took their archives and deposited, you know, in wherever they settled. There's a group of um, underground railroad conductors and covenanters. There was a group that moved on to Cam- Kansas. If you track them, of course, there's some that are moving with, with family members. So I'm not going to Kansas. <laughs> but I, there, I just have a hunch that this town has always been movers and shakers, people who come to school. Yep. And then they move. I know some people who would just, as soon as there was an automobile or they could get a Monon train out of this place so they could drink in peace without the temperance unions. Yeah. So just if you would just put yourself back in time and look at Seminary Park Square, there, if you go catacorny or across the street from Seminary Square, there's two limestone twin houses. One is the United Way. Those were built together by the Adams brothers in 19, 1895. And the other is uh, Ellis, uh, yes. Ellis Real Estate. Yeah. Yes, these two brothers, a limestone exec and I think a bank exec. Okay. Well, their sister who lived down the street, she was the state president for the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Uh-huh. And then if you go down or up north on college a little bit more where the convention center is now, yep. that's where the Methodist church was. Uh-huh. And this whole row of Adams and Lena Adams Beck, she was, a, she was and the Methodists were very strong push, pushing the anti-liquor movement. So they didn't want, they wanted to shut down the saloons. So this this a political pressure during that time. It was real. So there are some people who didn't want to stick around. And, I'm getting out of here. Well, it was a small town, yeah. and if everyone had didn't have air conditioning, so you'd had a porch, and you'd sit out on your porch, and you go, "Where are you going? What are you doing? I didn't uh. see you at church." <laughs> so the, there's this this political pressure from the movers and shakers of the town, who didn't really want you to drink. And I think if some of us, some of the youth wanted to, okay, I'm out of here. As soon as I get my degree, I'm out of here. I'm going to Indianapolis. The project is called Hoosier Character. It's designed to coincide with America 250, which is coming in 2026. Now, if you want to get 
to this digital map of 19th century Indiana, tell you all about Hoosier history, go to mcpl.info slash Hoosier character. Now, one of the three people or organizations putting this thing into effect is our guest, Christine Friesel. She's an adult services librarian at the MCPL. And the other organizations involved with this are Monroe County GIS and Monroe County History Center. Whose idea was this, Christine? It came from actually during COVID lockdowns. We built something called Monroe County Field Notes. It was a virtual dig to find out who lived on your property. This came from our county bicentennial in 2018. If you want to go back to find out why we started this, it was when in 2018 we discovered a new lead for um, our county bicentennial with the Underground Railroad. I was not satisfied that we had enough African-American history, and I went digging a little bit, and I found a reference to an Underground Railroad conductor named Hannah McCaw, who was a black woman, and her grandson was a competitive speaker. You know, he did debates um, in college, and he was in Indianapolis or was covered. A news article featured him in Indianapolis, and he was winning competitions talking about his grandmother, the Underground Railroad conductor for Monroe County. And so I said, I never heard of Hannah, and I made a couple of phone calls, and the people who are in the, you know, the local history network here, the Wiley House, IU Archives, we, we all kind of scratched our heads, and we said, why haven't we ever heard of Hannah? Then we realized, if we did some family history, that her daughter, Elizabeth Breckenridge, was the Wiley family house servant for 40 years. So... Hannah comes to Bloomington, she drops off her 13-year-old daughter to the Wiley house, and then she went and moved into a place out by behind Brewster's Ice Cream. She owned property there with her second or third husband, and apparently she was running the Underground Railroad. We went through all of her Underground Railroad oral histories. We did an exhaustive search, not one reference to this woman. So the group of us, every once in a while, a new lead will come over the transom, and then we'll all come together and go, oh, I have a new clue. And so this cold case of the Underground Railroad, some of us just got so frustrated because we wanted to see a map. Where were these earliest African Americans living? How do we know that? And we just want to see it on a map. We don't want to speculate. We don't want any commentary. We don't want any opinions. All we have to do is map it. So we want to get people excited to do research of their own property. Christine Friesel, you love this stuff. Oh, yeah. Did you notice? (laughs) (laughs) Who's your character? You can get to it. MCPL.info slash who's your character. And that'll take you to that interactive map. Tells you about 19th century Indiana digital map. It uncovers our shared history. Our guest this week has been one of the main people putting this whole darn thing together. It's a lot of work, but she loves it. Christine Friesel, she's the adult services librarian at the Monroe County Public Library, an author, a family researcher. She's getting this thing off the ground along with Monroe County GIS and Monroe County History Center. Christine, 
Thanks for being on Big Talk. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. 